0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: All right, everybody. Welcome to Wheelbearings, episode 99. Uh, This episode is going to be a little bit different from uh, the usual format because uh, we're we're a little more split up geographically than we usually are. Rebecca, tell us where you are.
2: Well, hello, everyone. I am actually at a town called Jalcimar. Which I don't know if that's exactly how you say it, but it's uh, it's in northern northwestern India, uh, about a ninety-minute flight north of Bombay, or Mumbai as it's now known. Uh, and I'm actually here on a holiday, a personal holiday, which is very exciting for me. Um, and I'm doing a yoga retreat. Uh, yoga really started in northern India, and so this is uh, very much the epicenter of. Of yoga. I, I don't normally practice it on an every, everyday basis, uh, but it's really been an amazing, amazing experience. And, and of course, just coming to India is an amazing experience. So that's where I am for the next two weeks.
1: Excellent. And I look forward to hearing more about that as we get into the discussion. Yes. And right now, you're uh, for the listeners, they're not going to hear Dan for a little while uh, because uh, Dan is busy right now. So Rebecca and I are going to have a chat right now. And then tomorrow, as we're recording this, I'll be recording some stuff with Dan, and we'll patch it all together, and it'll just be one big happy show. <laughs> so um, you obviously don't have something to drive this week, Rebecca. So... Um, what what? How have you been getting around uh, in here?
2: So, there's a couple of uh of. Things of uh, different modes of transportation. Uh, when I first got to India, uh, so my friend Elena lives here in in uh, she lives in Calcutta actually six months of the year, and then Berlin the other six months of the year. And so she met me at the airport, and we took an Uber <laughs> uh, <laughs> at home, uh, at back to mom, to our hotel in, in Bombay. And so Uber is really ubiquitous in the major metropolitan cities, uh, not necessarily in once you get out of those areas, uh, which is what we've done now. So then uh, we took an Uber around, uh, around the city. There's really, there is a train. Uh, there's not really a, a metro or a subway or anything. Uh, and personal vehicle ownership is pretty limited. So it's mostly Ubers and taxis. And then, uh, and then we took a flight up to um, Gelsumar, which I probably will say differently every time I say it. <laughs> uh, but we took a proper plane up here, and then the hotel uh, where we're staying, uh, the Mystic Gelsimar, uh they had. Uh, Mahindra, Jeep uh, meet us, and uh, that was a, a lot of fun to ride in. It was uh, let's see, three, four, five, six, seven passenger uh, vehicle, and uh, you know, no seatbelts, uh, very very bare dashboard. Everything's a manual transmission, <laughs> <And> so
1: <laughs> so it's-, it's not like the the little uh, was it the Rockster. One that they're trying to sell here in the U.S.?
2: Uh, no. Uh, I think that that probably has at least one USB port or something.
1: <laughs> this has <laughs> no such luxuries. Uh,
2: but it's it's tons of fun, though. I mean, it's really, um, you know, so so the, so the the fleet that I've noticed here, first of all, all the cars are impeccably maintained in terms of washing them daily. It is expected, especially in the cities, that you wash your car daily. Um however at any given moment you can have a fender bender and so we even we actually saw at one one intersection we saw one guy hit two cars at once both while he was <laughs> he was backing Excellent. he was backing out from the car that he had hit the front end of and proceeded to back into a second car <laughs> So that was a fun experience,
1: <laughs> but I'm, I, I, I'm curious to see how uh, autonomous vehicles would fit into that kind of environment when they still have to coexist with human-driven vehicles.
2: I promise you, autonomous vehicles are not coming to any part of India anytime soon. <laughs> 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 the uh, and and the, and there's such a contrast between the city and this. It's not even a suburb. It's an out. It's a just in a whole other city of a million people, um, where I am now in Jelsamar, and you know as as pictures have have shown, uh, you know there's cows everywhere. Uh, there's quite a few stray dogs. I've only seen one cat so far, and that was in a house, uh, and you know it's just chaotic i mean there's motorbikes everywhere uh and but everyone knows what they're doing it's you know so it looks chaotic to my eye to everyone else it's just it's just their street life um but you know people people cows bikes and cars and um these autos which are these three wheel almost Tuk-tuk kind of things that can carry Mm -hmm. uh, upwards of seven or eight people, uh, sometimes (laughs) sometimes more. Um, uh, They're everywhere. Depends how how
1: how high you stack them up.
2: It does. It depends on you know, and of course, a family of five on a bike is a is a pretty common scene as well. So, you know, there the idea that uh, that the world is going to go autonomous just isn't isn't really realistic.
1: Yeah, it's you know, I think there's there's a lot of you know, I think we're going to see that technology, you know, kind of filter out in very specific places first and you know, there's going to be a lot of regions where it's just not going to work for a long long time and it's not going to take over the world um overnight. It's going to be a very long drawn out process before before we can get that kind of technology working in in regions like India and and Africa and, and a lot of other places,
2: exactly it is, uh, you know, and I think that we have to be very mindful and respectful of, uh, of the culture and the yeah. way of life. You know, there the streets here are very narrow, and that's how it's you know that's just how the, they're built, and so you know the idea that we're going to impose our western standards on a lifestyle that is lovely that is you know really uh, far more sustainable in many ways in terms of their everyday life uh, so you know i think that we, we have to be uh, i think we we have to be very mindful of what uh, of the lifestyle that other people live
1: yeah no I, I totally agree and you know as, as you said you know to the to the people that live there and that are accustomed to the patterns you you learn the patterns and you you learn to you know humans learn to uh, they're, they're remarkably adaptable yes you know, and and we, we you after a while you learn to um, figure out how things work in a particular area and you you you, you change and adapt to that uh, you know you, you figure out you know you start to read you know the way people move in their body language to understand what they're going to do as you move through a crowd yes. and you know that's going to be different in, in different places and you know whether that's pedest- whether it's pedestrians or cyclists or people driving various kinds of vehicles so it's you know that that is you know as as flawed as humans are in many ways that is you know a remarkable thing to see how we can adapt to changing environments
2: exactly and and you know, one of the things I've learned being here is this is not a binary world. <laughs> so, even there, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, they have this head bob that they do that I, you know, for me, it's, is that a yes or a no? It's, it's neither. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, you, you have to understand that. And, you know, even as so, so it's, it's, what time is it now? It's uh, 645 in the morning here. And, you know, the cows are starting to gather at their feeding place. Uh, And yesterday, uh, there was a dog that was asleep under a motorbike. And another motorbike came very close to hitting this dog. It did not. But the dog just very casually kind of lifted its little paws out of the way. And then once the bike went by, it went right back, back down to where it was sleeping. <laughs> there was no panic in the dog. Um, you know, it just it, it, it reacted so differently than a dog might in other parts of the world and that's again very representative of it's adapted to its environment it's adapted to its experiences and that isn't something that electronics or technology necessarily does very well and ai is all very again very well and good but when you have the organized chaos of of a you know, a relatively small town in India, that again, is not necessarily something that can be solved for very easily. And we have to, again, think about, is that solving a, a, a problem that may not even exist here? You know, they don't really need autonomous vehicles here um, in this town of a million people. So, Again, just keeping – being mindful and respectful of of different ways of living.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I, on the other hand, did have something to drive over the past week. Uh, I spent the week with the uh, Hyundai Kona Electric. Um which I think you've driven the regular Kona, but not the the EV version. Right. Um, You know, this is Hyundai's um, subcompact crossover. And apparently they're actually, I guess they're actually going to do an even smaller crossover uh, in the next year or so. But this is, this is the, you know, the Kona came out last summer and the electric is now on sale in California and about 10 other States. Um, And uh, you know, this, this thing has a, a 258 mile nominal range from the EPA and I had it here in Michigan, you know, during some uh, some very cold winter weather. You know, typical, fairly typical, uh, you know, February weather in in, uh, in the Detroit area. Um, the the day it arrived, you know, it was about 16 degrees out, and I had uh, a couple of meetings I had to go to and had to had to take it. You know, a fairly fairly good distance, mm-hmm. and you know, that's that's where you know it. This is where it really demonstrates the. The value of having you know an EV with you know a range of greater than 200 miles, because you know in cold weather you do lose a lot of range with an EV, and it's not it's not necess- It's not really because the the battery itself uh, loses range. You, when a battery is cold, it, it loses power output, but it still has the same energy capacity. But you know with a a gas engine vehicle or a diesel engine vehicle, you know the engine gives off a lot of waste heat. Which you can run through a heat exchanger and use that to heat the cabin, mm-hmm. and it doesn't it doesn't cut into the the efficiency of the vehicle. But with an EV, you don't have that option. You know, the, you have to use energy from the battery directly to run either a resistance heater or a heat pump to heat the cabin, and uh, so that that cuts into your range. You know, what I found was in the morning. You know, when I first got into the car. Um, you know, I'd turn it on and, you know, it would show me 233 miles of range. And then as soon as I hit the climate control button, (laughs) immediately 25 miles would drop off of that. Right. Like it was in seconds because of the power it was using to to drive the heater. Um, So, you know, one of the things you learn, you know, driving an EV like that, even with the, the, the range that you lose Um, You know, you typically will lose about 30 to 40 percent of your range driving in cold winter weather like this. And so I was, uh, you know, but that still leaves you with, you know, 150 miles, 150 to 170 or so miles in a car like this. And it's, you know, that's more than adequate for even for the trips I had to take with it. Uh, you know, so that uh, worked out fine. I didn't really have any issues with, with range anxiety or anything like that. It was it was plenty to get me through a day. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that, that really helps in a car like this is almost all modern EVs come with heated seats. Mm, yes. And in many cases, like this one, it also had a heated steering wheel. Um, and using features like that, you know, in the past, you know, those have been considered more luxury features, but in an EV... It's really a huge benefit because that direct heat transfer to your body through your through your fingers on the steering wheel and through your backside on the seat is a much more efficient way of keeping you comfortable than actually using the seat heater. So a lot of the times I was actually able to drive with the climate control off and just the seated, heated seats and steering wheel and still be comfortable in the car. Yeah,
2: the Chevy Volt had heated seats way back, mm-hmm. in, you know, ten years ago, and I and yeah. and I thought that was just such a brilliant move because, as you say, you you're able to stay relatively comfortable uh, with using you know really sudden, uh, much less energy.
1: Yeah, the and the, you know the other thing that most EVs like the Kona will allow you to do is program, you know, when in the in the uh, in the settings in the car you can program when you want to leave in the morning. And, you know, if you have, if you leave the car plugged in overnight, it will automatically turn on the heat, the cabin heat, um, while it's still plugged in and, and preheat the car, you know, to 68, whatever, whatever temperature you set, you know, in advance of the time that you want to leave. So if you want to leave at eight o'clock, you know, at say seven o'clock, it'll start turning on the heater and warm up the cabin because it takes a lot less energy to keep the temperature constant than it does to heat it up from cold. Sure. So if you do it while the car is still plugged in, you're not using any juice from the battery. And uh, it's a much more efficient way to go. But the, you know, the, the nice thing about the Kona um, electric, it's it's actually probably the most fun variant of the Kona to drive.
2: Yeah. And that, well, that's the other thing too, is that people don't realize how much fun electric vehicles are to drive because it's got instant torque. And, you know, so tell us about it.
1: Yeah. Oh, it, I mean, off the line, you know, it just scoots right off the line. It's zero to 60 is about six and a half seconds, mm-hmm. which is plenty quick for a vehicle like this, you know, really for any vehicle. Um, and, you know, it it accelerates really quickly. Um, and, you know, because all of, you know, the most of the weight from, you know, all the weight from the battery is down low in the car. It's actually got a lower center of gravity than the conventional Kona. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't lose any uh, any interior volume. You know, you still have the same uh, same amount of pretty much the same amount of cargo space. The cargo floor is a couple of inches higher than in the base in the regular Kona, uh, but you, you still have uh, about 25 cubic feet in the back behind the seat. Um, the The rear seat in the Kona is a little on the tight side, but that's true of the gas engine version as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit smaller. If you need if you need more more space to carry. Um, you know, adult friends on a on a regular basis you might want to consider uh, getting the Kia Niro instead, which has the same powertrain but it's about four inch longer wheelbase. Um, but it you know it's you know it handles really well even on um, you know, low rolling resistance tires that they that they put on to uh, most EVs and you know it's just it's just a lot of fun to drive
2: yeah that's awesome and i love the shape of it too i think it looks really nice it you know one of the things i've noticed about electric vehicles is that uh they're starting to get away from the weird you know yeah and and just become more mainstream and that's what i think they need to really do to expand the appeal because obviously you know we're at We continue to be at about 3% of traditional hybrid sales, 1% of electric sales, electric vehicle sales, just over that mark. But that means that we have to start getting more mainstream and we have to start getting more mainstream in style and in range. Because when you think about that 150 miles, that's half a tank of gas. You wouldn't hesitate to drive a car with half a tank of gas in it, you know, so That's the mindset that we have to start getting into when we think about these electric vehicles and and living with an EV. And yeah, you know the yeah. That's go ahead, sorry. Go ahead. Well, the Hyundai Cone, I just want to point out, did get um, North American Car and Truck of the Year, uh, and and uh, and that was a huge, huge honor for them uh, to get that. And so the I don't think the EV in particular did, but you know it's it's a good yeah. It was it was included in
1: that honor. Yeah. Go ahead, (laughs) sorry. Yeah, no, they that, that did include the EV in the in that uh, North American utility oh, of the year honor.
2: Great, yeah. So it's it's really you know I think it's it's a good all around vehicle that happens to be electric, and that was the same experience that I had with the Audi e-tron, was that it's a really good luxury you know midsize SUV that happens to be electric
1: yeah and that's you know this is the thing that um, you know in my role as an analyst that i've been telling people for several years now you know is that you know as you know as they start to use up the the tax credits and that you know the the tax incentives for buying an ev start to phase out yeah, you know, these vehicles are going to have to be competitive on their own merits. You know, as yeah. a vehicle, and also, you know, as you go even even without that, as you, as you go beyond the early adopter crowd that have been most of the EV buyers up till now, you know, and you try to get in break into the mainstream, you know, most American customer, most American consumers, as you know, you know, don't necessarily care specifically about being all that environmentally friendly with their cars. You know, they, they want a car that meets their, their needs, their, their their needs as a, as a vehicle. And so, you know, you've got to have vehicles that, that look good, handle well, you know, have decent performance and decent range and most importantly of all are affordable to the masses. And, you know, this, that's, you know, as we're seeing, you know, with cars like the, the Kona and the Nero and the Bolt, you know, that they're getting most of the other stuff, right. But that affordability thing is still a question mark. Yes. Um, and you know the 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 Kona, you know, the starting price is the same thirty seven thousand five hundred as uh, as the Bolt and as uh, you know high end Nissan Leaf. But um, you know the the one that I drove was the Ultimate trim package. That was like forty five thousand dollars. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's that's before the the seventy five hundred dollar tax credit. Um, but still, I mean, that's that's a lot of change to, to you know, that's a pretty hefty payment to have to put down, you know, especially if what you're looking at, you know, is you know, sort of an entry level utility vehicle. You know, the, the conventional Kona, you know, similar you know gas engine uh, Kona Ultimate is going to be about thirty thousand dollars. You know, so that's a pretty hefty premium to have to pay to uh, to to get that electric part of it still. And you know, hopefully, you know, I think in the next few years, you know, we'll see those prices start to come down as the cost of batteries goes down and as they get more efficient. Uh, but you know, it's it's still a, it's still going to be a challenge, I think, for a while to sell a lot of EVs to uh, to the masses.
2: It is well, and and of course, what else can you get for that forty five thousand dollars? You know, that's that's the thing, and that's what people are going to look at and say, well, you know what? I yes, I care about the environment, but you know, not enough to do something about it, <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, for, you know, for most people, you know, they they figure out how much car they can buy based on, you know, based on their needs, but also on their budget, you know, how much of a monthly payment can I handle? Sure, right. And, you know, as, you know, as you go from thirty a $30,000 vehicle to a $45,000 vehicle, you know, of the same configuration, uh, you know, that's, that's going to mean, either a significantly larger payment or a longer loan term. And, you know, as, as you know, you know, from your, your past job at Cox, you know, the loan terms have been getting significantly longer. I mean, 84-month yes. loans are not uncommon now. Yeah,
2: exactly. Uh,
1: and that's that's that just seems crazy to me.
2: It does. It does. But, you know, that's what people are doing in order to afford uh, all of the technology and all of the features and all the safety features that are – Involved in new cars these days, you know all of those, all all of those USB ports and all of that, uh, all of that nav and all of that technology isn't free, and that's what we've seen is that people want that and all the safety features also, you know all the airbags now that are in vehicles and the, and all the you know the the impact and and, and crash uh, worthiness features. None of those are free. And so we, we've seen vehicles continuously increase in price. And the only way that, that you can afford that then is to go expand your loan term. So, you know, it's – Either that or let
1: somebody else buy it new and you pick up a used one in a couple of years. Yes. Uh, at a pretty <laughs> hefty depreciation.
2: Yeah, but then then three years in, that some of that technology is already obsolete. And that's – you know what – A lot of people don't want, and think about the new car buyer. Also, is that you know they do tend to be early adopters. They do tend to have uh, more disposable income, and they want the latest features. And so, you know, it's 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 a little bit of a different mindset. But no, yeah, that's that's true. Prices definitely are more.
1: So, speaking of affordability, uh, let's let's dive into today's Tesla news. Yes, Um, a couple hours ago, uh, Tesla made a made a big announcement. The uh, the thirty five thousand dollar Model Three is finally here. You can finally order one. Um, you know, almost uh, you know a year and a half after they first started doing customer deliveries, and um, you know, three years after they originally announced it. Um, but uh, you know, there's there's more there's more to the story than just the the lower base price. Um, you know, they also made some news about their. Uh, their retail strategy they're changing some, some things around um, they're basically going to be closing up most of the Tesla stores. What do you think about that?
2: So you know I like that idea in theory because I do think that the stores first of all they're usually in very high-end places uh, they're usually in very high-end shopping malls uh, you know on uh, Greenwich Avenue where I where I live. There's a prime storefront of Tesla. Um, I would be curious to know how many people just spontaneously went into one of these stores and purchased a vehicle. I think the number is probably pretty low. I think most people did their research online and then happened to go in or maybe sit down and place their order there. But um, all Model 3 orders will be online, which I think is fine.
1: Actually, all, all, all their orders. All their orders will be online. Right, the S and X and the 3.
2: Everything will be online, which, again, I think for this buyer is completely appropriate. Uh, the question is for future buyers whether that's appropriate or not. It, you know, and and all the research that I've done in the in my past life has shown that people actually do still want to go into the dealership. They do still want to test drive the vehicle. And again, this is mainstream. I'm not talking about the Tesla buyer. I'm talking about the typical, you know, 17 million persons that buy a new car every year in the States and 90 million that buy it globally. Uh, you know, this is a typical buyer that they still want that um, that interaction with their vehicle prior to purchase. Mm-hmm. Now, with that being said, this is a different buyer, but you still have to think about the scalability because one of the things that came out of this announcement also is that the the sales and ser- the service part of it, they're going to open up new service centers. And that's fine, except that, Sam, I think you also said that they were going to start doing more at-home service.
1: Yeah, that's that's the plan. They started doing this uh, last year you know, as they started ramping up deliveries of the Model 3. you know, They were getting behind, and so they, they started – they set up more mobile service units that would go – to people's homes or workplaces to perform repairs, perform minor repairs on the cars, you know, for, for more major repairs, more significant things in body work, things like that. Uh, they clearly still have to go to a service center or a body shop somewhere, but for, you know, my, you know, replacing minor failed components, um, they can often do that at home or at work now.
2: I, okay. I, I have issues with that plan because i just don't think it's scalable you know as they grow they are becoming offering this boutique service those two things don't go together <laughs> very well and you know it's it reminded me of this hyperloop tunnel thing that he has going on in L.A. where one car at a time takes the elevator down, you know, shoots across and comes back up. That is not scalable. That is not a long-term solution to traffic, certainly moving something. You you
1: don't think that's a viable replacement for the 405? (laughs)
2: You know, I don't mean to sound cynical, and I don't mean to sound like a futurist, um, because I do embrace all of these future technologies. However, at the end of the day, I do have to look at the practical side of this. So I just, I've, I, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I question the viability of um, of this service center model. You know, and. Again, when I look – you know, for me, if I was at home in Connecticut, the nearest service center for Greenwich is – there's one in in – within Connecticut. There's one about 45 minutes away in Milford, Milford, Connecticut. Um, There's one in – now, there's one in Mount Kisco, New York, which is probably about another 45 minutes. And then there's one in Brooklyn, which Brooklyn, um, while – while geographically is about 30 to 35 miles away from me, about 40 miles away from me, from the store, I should say, from their local store, it takes anywhere from two to three hours to get there. (laughs) And it's almost round the clock. And I'll give you an example of how elusive getting to Brooklyn is. There was a manufacturer that was having a holiday party and they had it They said it's six o'clock in Brooklyn. And I said, it would be faster for me to fly to Detroit and go to your one out there door to door. It would be faster. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not coming. (laughs) So unless you want to fly me out to Detroit, because that's a a lot less waste of time for me.
1: (laughs) So Yeah, well. You know, for Tesla, you know, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of their stores are in, you know, high end retail locations, you know, areas of, you know, very high real estate costs and, you know, operating a dealership, you know, whether it's a franchise dealership or, you know, something like a Tesla store is an expensive proposition. You know, you need you need staff, but, you know, the real estate is very expensive and, you know, they they will undoubtedly save a lot of money by making this change. Um, at you know at, at least you know nominally you know in, in the short term they they will you know how how well it'll work out in the long term you know if they continue to scale up production and deliveries you know how, how that's going to work uh, you know when you try to scale that up remains to be seen and you know there's still unanswered questions um, about you know there's a lot of states where Tesla still can't sell vehicles because yes. of the state franchise laws sure. for example Michigan. Right. You know so if somebody in Michigan wants to buy a Tesla, they either have to drive to Chicago or go to Cleveland. Those are the two nearest Tesla stores right you know to in order so even even if they do you know and for the past more than a year now, you know the the actual uh, sales process the process of doing the paperwork you know what you would normally you know when you go to a normal dealer or any other dealer, you know, and you buy a car, you know, whether you're doing a loan or paying in cash, you know, you go into the F&I office, you know, sit down with the guy, sit through his st- sales spiel, you know, <laughs> for all the extended warranties and everything. And then you sign off all your paperwork and, and then you get the keys to the car. Um, you know, with Tesla, you know, since they started delivering the Model 3, all of that's been done online, you know, so which means that you have to pay up front you have to you have to do the wire transfer um or pay by credit card or however you're going to do it online do all that paperwork online which is fine you know i mean that's that's actually a more convenient way to do it you know and then you go to the store and pick up the car but if you're in michigan and there's no store in cleveland or chicago now it's not clear if they are actually going to be able to deliver the car to customers in michigan or, you know, I mean, will somebody in Detroit have to drive to Toledo and meet them in a mall parking lot well, to pick up the car? I mean, we don't know how that's going to work. And
2: by the way, there are no service centers in Michigan.
1: Either. Yes, the clo- that's true, too. Now,
2: in know, there's three in Ohio. There's Cincinnati, Cleveland and Columbus. And I don't think those are around the corner. So, again, when you think, no. you know, and then and then also, you know, there's the training of the technicians as they expand. Are they going to get enough technicians that will stay with the company long enough, that will will be trained and stay in those positions long enough? But I think service is just one of the biggest challenges, even when I'm looking at in Boston, you know, where Dan lives or in in Massachusetts, where Dan lives, there's two service centers. There's one in Boston and there's one in Dedham, Massachusetts, which is kind of on the southern, uh, South of Boston. Neither of those would be anywhere close to where Dan would be able to get the car serviced. And there's not even one in, in New Hampshire that he could go across state lines and get it serviced. So, you know, these wait times and talking about this. Oh, and the other, my other favorite is Hawaii. There's one service center in all of Hawaii in Honolulu. And I bring up Hawaii specifically actually, because they are quite interested in electric vehicles. So when I'm looking at these States where there's, there's interest and, you know, Hawaii gas is incredibly expensive. And so again, to have one service center right now in Hawaii you know, in the until you build up these service centers, which is not something that happens overnight, uh, what are you going to do? You know, without these other, I mean, how are you going to get your car serviced? Yeah,
1: it's, it's not like you can drive from Maui to, uh, <laughs> to Honolulu. Yeah.
2: Exactly. So, you know, and then, uh, and then when I look at, at California, you know, there's an abundance of service centers, of course. But again, we have to think about, about, the the viability of the California model, how does that work in other parts of the country and other parts of the world? And so often technology is so California's focused that it just you know we just have to be more cognizant of this when we're talking about some of this these mobility solutions. Um, But this is the other challenge that Tesla is facing is is competition. You know, they have so much more competition from mainstream manufacturers that have traditional dealerships, that have traditional service centers, that have that geographical coverage uh, that you have to say, you know, why am I buying a Tesla over something else, over an an Audi e-tron or the Hyundai Kona EV or, you know, even the Chevy Bolt why? Why would I buy a Tesla instead? So it's not just about this price point. It's not just about a thirty-five thousand dollar vehicle. It's about our, how many people are willing to, how many mainstream people are willing to put up with uh, living with the Tesla model of ownership.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, also despite the fact that there is now a thirty-five thousand dollar Model Three available. One of the um, the most popular options for uh, the Model 3 and and for other Teslas has it actually gotten, uh, at least technically, more expensive than it was yesterday uh, by about three thousand dollars because Tesla has changed around the the packaging for uh, their Autopilot uh, option. So um, up until yesterday. Ever since they launched the hardware version two of Autopilot uh, back in 2016, they have had uh, they op- they offered enhanced Autopilot as a five thousand dollar option, and then in addition to that, you could pay an extra three thousand for the full self driving feature, which of course was has not actually been enabled uh, up until now. And last fall, they actually stopped offering full self-driving, uh, you couldn't, you, you, they, they stopped taking orders for full self-driving because it wasn't actually available. Um, but now as of today, so, uh, actually going back to yesterday with an enhanced autopilot, you had, you know, some of the functions that were available in there were the new, uh, navigate on autopilot feature that gave you basically on-ramp to off-ramp, uh, semi self-driving capability okay. um, and also the, the summon feature that let you oh, yes. stand outside your garage and, and pull the car out <laughs> and the auto park feature. Those, those were all part of enhanced autopilot, which was a $5,000 option yesterday. Today, enhanced autopilot no longer exists. They have a base autopilot um, package, which is $3,000. And what you get in that is adaptive cruise control and uh, the lane centering feature. And then, if you want any of the other stuff, the full self-driving package is back, and they've moved all those functions—the navigate on autopilot, summon, and the auto park—into the um, into the full self-driving package, which is five thousand dollars. Wow! So now, if you want the same functionality that cost you five thousand dollars yesterday, it's now going to be eight thousand dollars. Wow! So, the the base price of the car went down, but the price of all that functionality went up by three thousand dollars.
2: Well, and the thing is that the lane centering; those are those are pretty basic driver assist systems that are available in everybody. I mean, so those are standard in a lot of cars. So,
1: yeah, um, I mean, they're standard on the the Honda Civic and the Honda yeah, Accord right. and the Toyota Camry and the Corolla and a lot of other cars now.
2: Right, that aren't thirty five thousand dollars and up. So, wow, that's right. really. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I want. Tesla to succeed in that I, I think Elon Musk we need people like Elon Musk in the industry to push us forward right we need that but I just, the viability of some of this uh, for a mainstream buyer just continues to be uh, a big challenge I think uh, for this company but I want to get to the other part the other subject uh, that you had brought up also Um this three word. Yeah.
1: Let's
2: th- what three yeah, words. Let's,
1: let's, let's let's get into that. Uh, and then I can let you go and continue on with your vacation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so um, at uh, mobile world Congress uh, earlier this week, uh, Ford announced that they're adding support for something called what three words. And they're not, not actually the first uh, OEM to do that. Um, Mercedes added it last year on some of their cars with the introduction of their MBUX infotainment system. Okay. Uh, and, um, Jaguar Land Rover also has it now, so uh, this is this is actually particularly pertinent to where you are in India right now because there's a lot of places in India that that don't have street addresses. And you were telling me before we started recording that the same was true when you were in Saudi Arabia. Yes. Um, and and so you know, and and even in places where we have street addresses, it's it's sometimes problematic to find a specific location. You know, if you're going to a large building or for example, in Las Vegas, you know, if you're trying to get a Lyft uh, or an Uber, you know, from one of the big hotels on the Las Vegas mm-hmm. Strip, you know, trying to figure out the exact location where you actually are yeah. and, you know, or where yeah. you want to so, go. So tell
2: us about it. What is it? can be
1: problematic. What is it? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> the company What Three Words started in 2016, and um, the idea is, you know, you um, they've basically put a, a three by three meter grid or a 10 by 10 foot grid across the entire planet and assigned a three word code to every one of those squares. So At every 10, words, 10 by 10 foot square, it, it doesn't have to make sense. It's, any, yeah, it's any three words. Okay. And you can find out the if, if you uh, either go to the website what3words.com or load the app on your phone mm. um, and get your location, you can find out what the three words are for your current location or for any other location for that matter. Okay. Uh, so it gives you much more precise location. And so what Ford is doing uh, starting this year um, with Sync3 is the, the What3Words app now has support for Sync Link. And it's been tied into their in-vehicle navigation system. So if you have your phone connected via AppLink, you can um, either use a voice command or just tap the what three words button on the screen, say the three words for the destination you wanna to go to, it will go to the app, find the location, pass that back to the nav system and navigate you to that 10 by that 10, by 10 foot square anywhere on the planet. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, In theory, it's amazing. (laughs) We'll see how it actually works in execution because the problem with assigning, you know, a string of three words to – three random words to any square on the planet is that you won't necessarily know what the three words are off the top of your head. Right. So, you know – you know, right now you can go into the app, you know, you can put in an address or, or just navigate around the, the map, you know, and, you know, zoom in on, on the place you want to go to, find that specific square for the, to the door that you want to be dropped off at or, or go to. And, you know, it'll show you what the three words are and you just say those and then the nav system will take you there. But you, you know, how are you actually, it's not clear yet how that's actually going to work in the car. And I haven't tried it on a Mercedes yet either to see how mm-hmm. it works in there. Um, so I'm, I'm not quite sure, you know, if you don't know the three words, is it going to show you a map that you can zoom in on and get the three words? I, I don't know.
2: Well, I would think, I mean, when you think about it, you know, um, it, it reminds me of a, a word version of an area code or the first three digits of your phone number or something. Right. So it's kind of just, yeah. it's translating that. And um, the other, the other challenge of course is language. Uh, now on the app, they do say that they've started to add uh, downloadable language packs. Uh, you know, one of the things again in India here is that it's a very much a mix of Hindi, um, a little bit of English thrown in and other tribal languages. And so it's all. Kind yeah, I think
1: of, there's over a hundred official languages in India, aren't there?
2: Uh, yes, yeah. It's it's amazing. Um, most people speak Hindi, uh, but even there, like, I don't I don't know the word for thank you yet because everyone just says thank you in English.
3: <laughs> and so,
2: yeah. um, or or you give the the random head bob, but um, you know. So I think that this is something that this is a technology that I think that we might be able to uh, to kind of. Um, grow into, you know, adapt to and start Uh to understand. So I just put in my address and I got my three words. It's demand evenly Haven, which is kind of interesting. Um, I don't, I don't know why (laughs) those are the words that came up. Um, but I'm going to try and do, um, I'm going to try and do where I am in India. Also, I don't know if it'll download fast enough, but I think this is really interesting for those places that don't have addresses. And again, as kind of the theme that we've been talking about, we have to respect cultural differences. And like, as I told you earlier, my address in Saudi Arabia was gate was airport road, gate 12 across from princess Nora university.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, you know, if if we incorporate something like what what three words, you know, for example, into ride hailing apps like Uber or Lyft or, or Ola in uh, India, Ola is uh, a big provider yes, in India. Yeah. You know, you know, for for places that don't have an address, you know, if you can um, just give the you know if you have if you know if you can look up the three words for the location you want to go to, and tell that to the driver and, and they can put it in their their navigation system. You know, that can that can take them take you directly to where you want to go so it it is i think it is a really good approach you know in a way you know it's it's kind of a replacement for you know doing latitude and longitude which is the the other option right the the problem with latitude and longitude you know is that every degree is roughly about 70 miles yeah yeah so to to get the equivalent precision you know in coordinates of latitude and longitude you're going to have you know like an eight digit number for the um, latitude and another eight digit number for the longitude you know for with you know six decimal places right. and, and so you know that's that's not really a very practical solution for humans it's it's not it's fine for computers but it's not a good human interface for that sort of thing so something like what three words you know i think i think has a lot of potential and it's just how you know how you implement it how, how you execute it in, in the vehicle uh, to make it, make it workable. Yeah.
2: Well, and I think it's, you know, so I just, I was just able to, it, it's first of all, the, the website's amazing. It's super fast. So the address, I, I don't think our, our hotel actually has an address. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I think it's, you know, just the general location and, but the three words for the for the hotel came up strangest capper, respecter. Now I'm going to try this in the desert because we're going out to, to to the desert tonight, so I'll be interested to see how that works. But um, I do think that you know it's it's a great way to translate those coordinates into something that is more human friendly than an eight digit code because most people can barely remember you know their phone number nowadays. So. I think it's a, it's a really fantastic, uh, at least attempt to, you know, potential solution to that geocentric kind of the the necessary uh, level of coordinates that a vehicle needs. I mean, it's, it's, it solves a lot of problems actually, um, you know, again, it, it doesn't necessarily work. I don't know on the autonomous level, but it certainly saves a lot of challenges uh, to getting everything mapped from a uh, from a where are, where am I? You know, Uber or shared ride kind of or ride hailing sort of service area. So it's a lot. Of, it's it's very very cool. I think it's absolutely fascinating, and I and I can't wait to try it in a in a vehicle, as you say.
1: Yeah, and that should be available uh, quite soon uh, with an up, you know, uh, with an update to Sync in uh, Ford vehicles and anything that's any Ford vehicle that has Sync Three in it should have that support. And and Mercedes is is uh, increasing the availability of their MBUX system this year as well. Uh, they launched it last year on the the new A class, um, and uh, I think the new. Uh, GLE and GLC have it now, and, and uh, several other models are getting it. Then, and they all have what three words embedded in there. And so, I think we'll be seeing a lot more of this uh, from other manufacturers over the next couple of years. Yeah.
2: So now, one thing that's interesting is online. On my laptop, I'm getting different words than on my phone, which is right next to me.
1: You, you might, yeah, you. It might be the location that the laptop is getting, which is probably coming off the the Wi-Fi. Uh, in your hotel, uh, whereas your they're both connected uh, to the same slight-
2: hotel. They're both connected to the same Wi-Fi.
1: Right, but your phone is probably using the GPS and getting a slightly different oh, position. okay. Than than the uh, than the network position. Yeah, that's so that, very so interesting. You can, you can go in the you can go in the map and manually move around. Yeah, and, I see and pick that. Yeah. square.
2: It's really cool. I mean, it's really <laughs> yeah, it is.
1: It's a, it's a neat idea.
2: It is. it is. It is. It's a great idea. So that's really really cool.
1: All right. Well, with that, I'm going to let you get back to your vacation, okay. Rebecca. Thank you. And have a great time. Enjoy yourself. Thank you. Um, and uh, we'll maybe talk next week. Uh, maybe not. We'll, we'll see what's going on. Yes. And, uh, so next
2: week I'll actually be in Calcutta. So I can okay. give you a, a, a little we're going to Jodhpur on Sunday, flying through New Delhi, and then over to Calcutta. Uh, and and if, if anyone wants to follow my adventures, uh, not to Specifically, self promote, but I will be. Um, I'm posting oh, stuff. go ahead and self promote. I'm, I'm posting stuff on my Instagram at Rebel Car uh, and so you can see. Um, I posted a one minute video of just what I was seeing that day, and it, it's just again, it's just absolutely fascinating. I think it'll bring to life some of the stuff that we're talking about, uh, and then it's on Twitter as well. And I'm sure we'll do it on the the Wheel Bearings Cast on Twitter too. So um, yeah, follow and, along, and I'll
1: put I'll put those links in the show notes. Okay,
2: cool, perfect. All right. Awesome.
1: All right. Thank have, you. Have a great time, Rebecca. Thank you and so much, I'll Sam. will talk to you next all time. All
2: right. Sounds great, Sam. Thanks so much.
3: Cheers. Welcome back. This is part two. Uh, so Sam, sounds like um, Rebecca's having a pretty good time in India.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's definitely having a great time there.
3: <laughs> I want to hear all she's, about... I think, uh, I think
1: today, as, as we're recording this, uh, she was, or before we were recording this, she was off uh, doing some camel riding.
3: I was going to say, I, I want to know if she gets a chance to drive a tuk-tuk, right? That's what they... Uh, uh, she didn't She didn't
1: drive one, but she did ride in one.
3: Okay. That's it's probably actually less terrifying <laughs> yeah. than trying to drive. One. Um, We're trying to, so, dri- right. trying
1: to drive anything in India, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I'll stick
3: to driving over here in the States. I I thought it was funny. I forget which um, sort of firm looked at this, but in, in Worcester, Mass., there's... Um, this intersection—it's—it's it's not good. It's called Kelly Square, and they apparently decided that it's the worst intersection in the U.S. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, "I've been through Kelly Square hundreds of times. Like it's—it's it's bad, but it's not—it's not that bad. You just can't be timid." <laughs> so, um, <laughs> well, but I, I I'll think that's—I that.
1: think that's the case in India too. You can't be timid.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I get behind enough timid drivers um, where I'm tempted to flash the high beams, and I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to die today. Today is not the day." <laughs> Uh, so anyway, speaking of driving, uh, you covered the Kona EV with Rebecca. Yep. Um, that's a super interesting car to me. And, uh, it's, it's an interesting competitor for the $35,000 Tesla that we're going to talk about because that just happened. Um, we're also going to talk about the Polestar. What's that? The model two? The or Polestar, the Polestar just Star Polestar
1: two? Star two. No model. Just Polestar two. Right.
3: Sorry, Polestar. And then, um, FCA, Had a big announcement that kind of got a little bit lost, I think, because of all the other stuff that's going on. It's been kind of a big week for news, so we'll just finish up with that. Uh, But I, I this week have been driving a two thousand nineteen Volkswagen Golf SE, and uh, you know it just kind of reiterates all the reasons why the Golf is great. You know, we what was the you had either a Hyundai or a Kia that we talked was it the Forte that we were talking about last Yeah. yeah Um, you know, that's a great car, but the the Golf has, you know, we were talking about the E-Class in the same kind of way, where it just has that sort of gravitas that it goes down the road with, and the, the Golf still does that. And so every time I drive a Golf, I like it quite a bit. <laughs> it it just does that, it feels more premium than it is.
1: Yeah, and that's something that, there's something about the way they do build Volkswagens that gives them that feel, you know, it it. You know, it, it feels like, um, you know, something that you would expect to come from one of the other big German premium brands. But, you know, I mean, and they're they're not cheap, but they come at a significantly more affordable price point than those other brands.
3: Yeah, well, it doesn't hurt that the way Volkswagen does it is they engineer sort of that one set of hardware to actually work across from the cheap to their their own big German luxury brand, right? So you you're buying something that in another life is an audi and that kind of helps
1: yeah yeah that, that I mean that, that same MQB platform you know forms the basis of everything from the polo to the atlas and also the audi a3 and the the q3 as well
3: yeah so it pays off when you do that kind of uh, that kind of engineering that's that's pretty holistic like that you know it starts with a really solid platform and it does it feels really tight it's a good driving car even in se trim which isn't the way i prefer my gt uh, my my jettas or my golfs i'm sorry i prefer them as gtis uh but who wouldn't (laughs) right exactly um this isn't it's not bad and so the new story for 2019 with the the s and the se trim which i think is all that you can get um the golf in other than gti or golf r uh is that it has that one point four t engine that is also in the, the Jetta. Um so it's the one point four T it has about 147 horsepower I think 100, roughly 150 horsepower. And there's the six speed manual. Yeah it's or,
1: 184 foot pounds of torque.
3: Yeah. Which is fine. I like guess yeah, it, it's, it's a, a great
1: engine. It,
3: it is. It actually feels a lot stronger than its its size would have you believe. Um thank you turbocharging <laughs> um but I think what's impressive about it is the way they have it tuned to have the the power come on there's there's not really any turbo lag or anything, so it just it feels like a larger engine it feels like a two liter uh and that's i think that's kind of the point <laughs> um and so you can get the six speed manual, which unfortunately I do not have. I have the eight speed automatic and i'm just i'm not a fan of the d s g though as much as I like this car i I just hate that transmission
1: yeah. Uh, well you know uh, the, the, you have the sorry you have the dsg in the one you're driving
3: yeah well i mean if it's the automatic if that's what they're eight speed automatic if that's the dsg no that's that's not that's not,
1: it's not that's a that's a conventional automatic it's not a really? dsg yeah oh god it so sucks it's, it's a planetary gear automatic <laughs> it's not
3: good it's grabby at low speed it's just it's weird which is why i thought it was the dsg
1: yeah no it, um they they've moved away from that on a lot of their applications in the last couple of years.
3: Okay. See, I'm, I'm old. So I think Volkswagen equals DSG when they do the automatic. Yeah. Um, And that's the sort of one thing that I really dislike about it is the, the powertrain is under very tight control. so it's just fine in, in normal driving, but this one, so I'll start it up and the cooling fan, the electric cooling fan just comes on full blast. No matter what, and so it, I started up at nine degrees ambient uh, a couple mornings ago, and I had to take the kids to school. So it's just it's across town. It's all city driving. It it would not warm up. <laughs> sounds sounds
1: like there's uh, some kind of sensor problem there. Yeah,
3: and I don't I don't want to impugn them all. Like yeah. that's a problem with this particular car. It's a stuck relay, or it's just got a confused sensor, or or something. But because of that. I had to rev it up at at stoplights and I really, I wanted to rev it against the transmission for, for a little load to just get some heat into it Mm -hmm. and it would not let me do it. And so I put it in neutral and you can rev it up to like 3,800 RPM or so and you can just sit there, but it'll sort of like time out. It won't go any higher and it'll stop doing that after like 30 seconds. (laughs) And you know, It's, it's
1: it's one of those protective things they put into modern engine management systems. Yeah, you know, when you're yeah. sitting there, sitting there in neutral, they don't want you just revving them like mad.
3: Which is fine. Like I, I appreciated that. I could just put my foot on the pedal and like, okay, it's not going to just scream at redline, which is not what I wanted to do anyway. But not being able to torque it up against the brakes was kind of annoying, and it just, it just hit home how sort of tightly regulated uh, <laughs> they have that engine. Um, but it, yeah, it, it's other than than sort of the low speed behavior of that automatic, it's it's a really good car to drive. It'll clip right along on the highway, you look down and, and because it feels so tight and it's pretty quiet, you're generally going a little faster than you thought you were. <laughs> yep. Um it just it behaves very well. The SE is a nice trim. Um it it comes with um well I guess you can get the driver assistance package. I don't have it on this one, so I don't have the adaptive cruise control or the lane keeping or automatic high beams and stuff, but it, it has it. If you want it, um, you know, it's, what's not to love. It's, it's a very comfortable, I think very useful. I think there's, God, there's mm, like 17 cubic feet of cargo space in it, which is nice. I mean, that's,
1: Uh, well, that's the great thing about hatchbacks in general, as opposed to compact sedans, you know, and you know, if you're going to buy a smaller car, you know, always, always go for the hatchback. Or or better yet a wagon if there's one available, but that that's rarely the case in North America anymore.
3: But with the golf it is.
1: That's true. <laughs> you can get the golf sport wagon or, or get it as an all track if you want that sort of pseudo crossovery kind of uh look to it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I like actually both of those. If I were to not get a GTI and get a golf, I would lean towards the wagons just because a, it's one of the few wagons you can get with a manual, and um, they're very, very pleasant places to be.
1: Yeah, uh, and that, we we had one for seven years.
3: Yeah, and and until it started breaking, right? And then you get rid uh, of it well, right at
1: the cusp. Well, no, well, um, actually, that just happened to coincide with a a certain other little issue that Volkswagen had with. Uh, the emissions but
3: oh yeah and this is sort of like the that, rambly point i was trying to make about the the powertrain being under such such strict control i was wondering if it's because they got whacked so hard
1: well yeah <laughs> i mean that's actually a trend uh, that i've been seeing in a lot of cars not just volkswagens but other brands as well um and it goes back but even before Dieselgate.
3: yeah yeah well and uh, if you can stop people from doing stupid things that cause warranty claims uh I can understand why you'd do it. And I like there's just really very little reason to rev the engine to redline uh, or against the rev limiter. Yeah. <laughs> when you're just sitting there. Um, the other sort of biggest point about the, the newest golf, I guess SE has the new um, big composition uh, infotainment system, a composition media unit. So it has a capacitive touchscreen and, uh, they, every time they update this, they make it a little better and it is, it's, it's pretty good. Um, it, it's very, very picky about what it will let you control when you're driving, which I guess is okay. But like, I, I that's, wanted to, that's adjust, actually,
1: that's actually a good thing.
3: Yeah. Um, I wanted to adjust the sound of the radio. It was like, nope, you can't do that when you're rolling. <laughs> I was like, all right, fine. Fair enough.
1: You mean like the, the tone, like the tone? Yeah, just okay. like base treble adjustment. Yeah.
3: Okay. and I just I couldn't do it. Uh, that's not normal. Like it's normal that you have to that, stop and pair the phone, but.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean that that does seem like it may be going a wee bit too far.
3: Well, they, they're nothing if not earnest. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's it's a really good little system. Uh, I like it quite a bit. It doesn't have nav in it, but it has app connect, um, so you can you know connected up to your phone and use you can use the, the apps you can you can pipe other features into it and apple carplay and android auto yeah obviously so uh it's hard not to recommend the golf and i continue to to just sort of think that it's the the class of its class just be because it's you know it's a very good mix of just being great to drive even in boring trim um like this which the se is nice but it's not it's not sporty in, in any kind of way um but it's it's a good car. It's big enough. Front and back seats are good. It's got ninety five cubic feet of passenger space, which is that's like a C segment, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's I mean it's a, it's a C segment, uh, but when you add up the the cargo and passenger space, uh, it actually is almost classified as just. I think it's just shy of. Uh, actually, it might even be as full size because uh, one hundred and twenty cubic feet combined passenger and cargo volume is, uh, considered full size by EPA. So I think, I think it might actually be considered full size, even Uh, though it's a compact.
3: Yeah. Or it's, at least it's on the bigger side of compact. It's it's very comfortable. Like this is a car and there's very few cars in this class that you could just like jump in and and drive for very long distance and use as your one car for like, you know, the the halfway across the country family trip and the everyday commute and be very efficient because that, that 1.4 liter, turbo engine is, is getting very good economy, uh, from what I've noticed. So.
1: Yeah. And, you know, uh, unlike, you know, some of the things I've said in the past about owning versus driving a Volkswagen, you know, with that six year 72 or six year, uh, 72,000 mile warranty now bumper to bumper warranty, you know, you can probably feel pretty, pretty confident about, uh, you know, owning one now.
3: Look, I mean, at twenty five thousand dollars, I think it, it starts at twenty four one forty five as the SE trim, and I think I've got the most basic SE trim because I, I, there's not leather; it's leatherette seats and stuff mm-hmm. in here. Um, that, that's kind of not a bad deal, <laughs> like, even if it, you know, it, it comes with a warranty, and all, that's just that's a good car.
1: It's yeah. It
3: drives nice and tight, and it will. If this is like your first car or something, it will it will sort of set your standard for anything to come. It's a it's a good car to sort of uh, gain your bearings with. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I like it quite a bit.
1: Okay, cool. All <laughs> right, let's uh, let's move on to some stories. Um, Absolutely. W- let's start with uh, since we're talking about hatchbacks, uh, let's start with the Polestar Two, uh, which is uh, the first full you know battery uh, you know from the ground up battery electric vehicle from volvo uh and you know their volvo's decided to use the the polestar brand as their premium electric vehicle brand going forward and you know last year they announced the polestar one which is a a plug-in hybrid coupe uh, sport coupe and now the polestar two is their first volume model uh, that's coming out and it's going to be officially shown next week at the geneva motor show um yeah. Have you had a chance to take a look at this thing, Dan?
3: Uh, yeah, I have. And I mean, I, I, as a, sort of everybody might know, as a longtime Volvo owner, I'm still kind of a fan of the brand. And I mean, this is just a, it's just a fantastic looking car, um, both inside and out. It's, it's very, very pretty. It, it's it's it stands out, you know, in the way that um, Teslas do not that it's copying the Tesla, but it just has that distinctive look about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it it doesn't copy Tesla at all, really. You know, it's, it's very much, you know, in keeping with modern Volvo design, uh, you know, except that, you know, now you've got the Polestar badge on the front instead of the, uh, uh, the, the Volvo shield badge in the grill. So, you know, you're right. I I agree. It's a good looking vehicle. (laughs) Interestingly, you know or or you know i guess not surprisingly you know it is the it has adopted you know what is becoming all too typical you know the sort of crossoverish cues um you know on what is a five door hatchback uh you know and and it's a you know more of a fastback design uh as opposed to you know kind of the squared off back of like the golf has so you know it's it's kind of the, you know coupe Sort, coupe sort of profile, but it's a taller one, you know, so it sits a little higher. It's got the, the extended wheel arches, you know, the matte black extended wheel arches to give it a little bit of that crossover ish look because, you know, God knows you can't sell just a conventional car design anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's uh dual motor, 407 horsepower, I think, um, 275 mile range, um, on the WLTP cycle, which is the new test cycle they're using in Europe, which is a little more realistic. Um, I think it's a six, 72 kilowatt hour battery pack.
3: I think something like that. It's in the seventy, seventy-two 72 or 77.
1: Yeah. Something like that. Uh, 78. Okay.
3: <laughs> 78 kilowatt hour battery pack. And um, so they're, they're saying the target range just is 500 kilometers and I can't divide that boy point. It, yeah.
1: It, it comes out to about 275 miles.
3: Okay oh that's right. you just said 270 on the WLP. Yeah. yeah I mean looking at like there is there's a photo gallery of it here, and it's just in there's this one profile shot it, it does have this very muscular sort of hulking stance from the like the rear three quarter. It's got a bit of like AMC spirit in it, which mm-hmm. is, to me that's not a bad thing <laughs> um
1: yeah, I mean, if, if anything, that you know probably the car that it's most like in a lot of respects is the Jaguar i pace.
3: Yeah, but you know, I got to see um really sort of like poke and prod one of those just recently. That is a an impressive uh car, the the pace When you start to just look at it and see how carefully designed it was, I was I was really surprised by it. I, and if the Volvo or I'm sorry, the Polestar <laughs> is done with the same level of care, you know, we're I think we're starting to see these new Electric lines from established automakers really start to hit their stride.
1: Yeah, I think I'll, I'll be very curious to drive this thing. You know, when it comes out next year, um, one uh, you know one of the other interesting features of this is it's the it's going to be the first model to get uh, Volvo's new infotainment system, which is built on Android Automotive. Uh, you know, and I think I think we talked about it a little bit a few weeks back. Um, there's a uh, you can actually uh, try it out. You can sample what it's like. Uh, there's a progressive web app that you can get. So basically there's a URL, a web link you can go to um, and install it on your, on your phone and basically just kind of play around in the interface to get an idea what the interface is like. And it's, it's quite a bit different from census. You know, when we first heard about it, you know, they they said that it was going to basically be the census interface, but it's actually quite different. Um, and it's, it, I think, it, you know, it's going to take a little getting used to, uh, but you know, we'll, we'll see how well it works. Unfortunately it is still, you know, all touchscreen, uh, or yeah. actually, uh, you know what, maybe it's not, I think it actually there does, are have, some it does have a, it, yeah, it does have a rotary controller.
3: Um, but so, it, it depends on what's in that rotary control, like what's, yeah. what's controlled with that rotary controller. Everybody's going to sort of find their best balance between, uh, what works and what doesn't. Um, I, what I like about what I see, uh is that they've made made it more visual in the sense that it can convey information with a glance mm-hmm. uh like the the one uh screen they have here is the charge screen so you can look at that very quickly and see okay you've got the the sort of overhead shot of the car and you've got this this bar and so it's orange to display what level of capacity is still in the battery. like that That's the kind of thing that you need to be doing if you're going to such a, a, a touchscreen environment, is you need to still be able to make it easy to convey that information. And the touch targets are larger, mm-hmm. uh, from, from what I can see, and, and it depends on how that works throughout the rest of the, the interface. So I'll have to actually grab the app and play with it a little bit to see what I actually think about it. But, I mean, Volvo has had to defend census enough already that I think they know where the pain points are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing about this uh, is because it's built on Android Automotive, it will actually have, you know, built in support for Google Play services. Um, And, you know, you'll be able to uh, download apps directly into the system. So, you know, things like Google Maps, you won't have to Uh, it, it'll, it'll have support for Android auto and, and Apple CarPlay, so you can use those, but you won't actually have to use maps through Android auto. You can use, you can use the Google maps app directly on the system. So even without having your phone connected to it, it'll still, it'll still work that way.
3: Yeah. And you know the other thing that I noted was it's on the um CMA archi- uh CMA platform right so compact modular architecture so we- um
1: sort of yeah I mean it's yeah. it's a heavily modified version of that it's it's you know cause, so it's not the same as um as the uh, uh the XC40 the, yeah.
3: Yeah. But I um, my, um, my assumption is the corners are pretty similar but yeah. the middle is different.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Everything between the axles is different. Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, you got to find the ba- you got to fit the battery in there uh, somehow. But I, I guess if if the XC Forty can be sort of any kind of uh, indication of how it might behave, th- that's pretty good. I liked the XC Forty quite a bit. I thought it drove very well.
1: Yeah, and it'll have uh, support for 150 kilowatt charging, so it'll it'll charge up pretty fast. Um, you know, faster than most of the other EVs that are out there today
3: and you know because um Polestar you know I find it interesting that Volvo felt the need to go electric with Polestar and make Polestar this sort of tertiary um premium electric brand for Volvo like why why couldn't they just make it Volvo
1: well they're they're going to do that with uh you know they're going to have electric versions of the Volvo brand vehicles as well uh, and I think all of them will be available as EVs, you know, by 2025. Uh, and starting starting next year, uh, they're, one of the other things they're announcing at uh, Geneva, or actually that they just announced, but they're going to show at Geneva, is an updated version of their, their engine um, with a 48-volt mild hybrid system on it. So and, and they're also upgrading their plug-in hybrids. So everything will be electrified uh, from Volvo from next year onwards. And you know i think they i think they they wanted to have something you know a little more a little more set apart you know i think this is supposed to be a little more performance oriented um, than the volvo brand which is you know kind of more more luxury focused i guess
3: yeah it just to me it's i'm not going to argue one way or another i just want the thing here but it's weird that they're they're going through this effort and they're now also taking on the challenge of establishing Polestar. And Polestar is known as the sort of Volvo Performance Tuner that went in-house. Um, but they're only known by about, you know, for that by the small group of Volvo performance enthusiasts, really. Like so Polestar is gonna be like one of those things they're gonna to have to establish. Um, which I I mean, I guess that's fine. And the performance credibility is, is still going to be there. They've got, uh, perform- I think, like um, a performance pack for the, the suspension and stuff. You get Olin's dampers and Brembo mm-hmm. brakes and stuff. So I'm sure it will, it will deliver the goods, um, especially especially with electric motors. It's kind of hard not to deliver good performance. Uh, but it's it's just a curious decision to me. I, I'd like to know more about the rationale.
1: Yeah, I'm sure we'll we'll get a chance to uh, to talk to uh, the Volvo folks at the at the New York Auto Show, and hopefully get a little more information from them then.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's a lovely car though, and you know, Volvo design is just killing it. And it's it's not. Um, I guess Polestar has their own designer too, right? Their own head of design. So you're they're going to be different than just sort of like Volvo family resemblance stuff. I, I don't know. I'm not sure how I'm trying to express it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know how much Polestar is going to diverge from Volvo, uh, from a design perspective.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that the family traits are going to be there, but they, they, I think they have their own director of design, I guess is what I was getting at. So yeah. while a Volvo cars make go one way, um, the, the Polestar cars, they have another hand in the mix. So it, it can have its own visual identity and it, just, it looks very aggressive and, and, I you know I'm just I'm impressed and if it drives as well as the last couple of Volvos I've had which have been uh an XC40 and an S60 which are both were both really really good. Uh the future is bright for the yeah. Polestar too. Um you know in terms of what it's going to sell for though where where is that going to come
1: it, in? it uh it starts at 63,000 uh in the US.
3: Okay and that's the is it going to ever get cheaper?
1: Um I, I don't know. I mean yeah. they it, you know, but they could potentially offer a single motor version at some point, or maybe a version with a smaller battery. But I, I doubt it. I, this is probably about as cheap as it's going to get.
3: Okay. Well, I mean, that's not
1: ridiculous given what you'd pay for. Yeah, I mean, you uh, know, it's cheaper than an i Pace. Uh, yeah. You know, cheaper than an Audi e Tron, and you know, given the the brand you know that you're talking about here, uh, yeah. It, and that's the thing, you know, I think. You know, we will will probably see an electric version of the XC Forty, for example, uh, that will be cheaper than this. And you know, we'll see we'll see other stuff from Volvo that will probably undercut this. You know, uh, with an electric powertrain.
3: Yeah. Well, also, there's going to be tax credits, right? Volvo certainly hasn't gone through any. That's true. Tax yeah. Credits.
1: They um, you know they they haven't sold that many of their plug-in hybrids, so they've they've still got the tax credits for a while at least.
3: Right, and its sort of natural competitor is that Tesla Model Three, so. Yeah, that, I mean
1: a, it's it's pricier. Uh, it's definitely know, the, pricier. It's, yeah. de- it's pricier than a Model Three, but it's but smaller other, than an S. Yeah, on, pre- on the, yeah on the other hand, you know it it also it looks more premium than the Model Three, especially the interior. Yeah,
3: well, that's not hard to do, <laughs> but.
1: I'm sorry. All right. Well, <laughs> as long as as long as we're there, let's uh, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Tesla. You know, you know I shared my thoughts with Rebecca earlier. Um, you know, and you know, they they finally brought out the thirty five thousand dollar Model Three, but
3: thirty six two hundred.
1: Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> If, if you must add in the destination charge well you yes. can't
3: get it otherwise I, I, right? that's true
1: yeah <laughs> and and you know they um, since you know they're uh, they're now all going to be delivered direct to your home uh, or to your office or wherever you want you know that since they are, are closing all of their uh, uh, all their stores or most of their stores uh, in the next couple of months um, that's you know that's something that's kind of unique in the industry uh, but you know Rebecca had some concerns that you know not sure how this is going to scale up. You know, if, if they're going to try to sell high volumes of vehicles, you know, how how's that going to work out with delivering directly to people's homes?
3: Uh it's, certainly, it's going to make the delivery costs go up. Yeah. So uh, charging people for deliveries possibly not the worst thing to be doing at that point. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it, there's a, so there's a few things that happened with Tesla. They had their call yesterday, which was uh, Thursday at this point um and it's, so it's not just that model three that that uh what is it the model three basic or i forget what they're called
1: uh standard range standard, or standard version yeah um
3: n- none of that really alarmed me like actually all the moves they made with the car seemed really logical you know it has a little bit less range it has a uh you know decontented or, or not quite as nice interior no has, decontented is it decontented? Yeah. So, it, so both, actually. It's like decontented and it's not quite as luxurious. Um, you know, it's only available in black unless you want to pay more for, for a different color. All of those moves seem like normal base model moves to mm-hmm. me. Um, it, they're kind of coming late to a certain degree. And I, I think it's part of a bet on Tesla's part that not too many people are going to pick... The thirty five thousand dollar Model Three, even though they've been promising it, and there's a lot of pent up demand, um, I think that well, there there, counting... was, there was a
1: lot of pent up demand. It's right? Not clear, it's not clear how much is left. We'll we'll have a better idea of that, you know, come the end of this month when they report their their first quarter delivery numbers.
3: Well, and that sort of that's the tips us over into the like all of the weirdness, right? Like, so they they want this volume model, it's essentially a thirty five thousand dollar Model Three, is the volume card they how are they going to manage to produce that many if it drives demand well i think they're betting that it's not going to be all that demanded right like i I think they're they're saying like yeah most people are going to pick a nicer one because we're good at upselling and Look at these features we have, like autopilot yeah. <laughs> and stuff that you well, you can't get. Uh, you know, on the actually, standard.
1: you know the the indications in the you know first part of you know through January and the first part of March or February. I mean, were that um, they had actually basically used up all the backlog of of the higher volume, you know, the higher priced models, and you know most of the remaining backlog for Model Threes was for the lower priced versions. So, because the you know sales had reportedly dropped off quite a bit uh, in the first part of the year, and you know they, they shifted to really pushing them overseas, you know, so now they're they're starting to ship them to Europe and to China, um, you know. So we'll we'll see, you know. Now that you know, part of the problem for Tesla is that they pulled ahead a lot of sales in Q four for people that wanted to get the the tax credit, the seventy five hundred dollar tax credit, and you know now. Um, you know, now the tax credit's down to thirty-seven fifty, and then you know in July it drops to eighteen seventy-five. Uh, you know, we'll see how much demand demand there really is left, especially you know for a sedan. You know, in a market where sedan sales are shrinking rapidly.
3: Yeah, but so why do they have a whole bunch of them sitting on lots that they won't sell?
1: Not if won't they, sell, can't sell.
3: Why? Why can't they sell them?
1: Like. Cus- customers aren't looking for enough of them.
3: Uh, that that's what it is. Like they've just yeah. they built the wrong there's car. Just,
1: there's just not enough demand anymore. Or at least that appears to be the case that there's not enough demand.
3: Uh that's a bad problem.
1: Yeah, it is. <laughs> Who's paying for those cars
3: right now? It's Tesla.
1: Yeah. And um, that, and you know that's that's one of the problems, you know, for an automaker with not having a franchise system, you know, dealer system, you know, with doing direct sales, you know, one of the one of the advantages, you know, for, you know, with with the, the franchise system with the dealer system that we have in North America, you know, manufacturers sell the cars to the dealers and then the dealers sell them to consumers. So what that means is that, you know, the manu, you know, because the dealers need a, some markup on that, the manufacturers get less revenue per car than, you know, than they would if they sold them directly. But on the other hand, you know, once they build the car and deliver it to the dealer, it's out of their hands. They they no longer have to deal with it. You know, it's up to the dealers to figure out how to how to sell them. Uh, you know, now you know for uh, you know for a company like Tesla that's doing direct sales only, and you know, not, without even stores now with just you know online sales, they um, you know every car that's built that hasn't been delivered to a customer is that's inventory that they're you know they're sitting on. Yeah, And that's a cost to their bottom line.
3: Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the local dealers help you out, too. They know the market, so they know which mm-hmm. ones to order, like what cars to build, uh, sort of, for that region. So you get the model mix more right. You don't have a bunch of cars you can't sell because they're not the ones that people are buying. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Sort I mean, they do wind up with days of inventory, even the larger manufacturers do. But it, it seems like there's there's enough of a system figured out where that gets smoothed out a little bit better. So I, I, that whole, like, we're not going to have any place for you to take this and get it fixed, or we're not going to have any place for you to they're, try they're, this they're, out.
1: They're apparently still going to keep service centers, just not the stores, just not the retail stores.
3: Yeah. I. I it, it, it's it, an odd decision.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the, as I said with, with as I talked about with Rebecca you know the the one of the big issues you know for Tesla was was the location of their stores you know a lot of them were in very expensive locations you know very expensive real estate and that's that's a real big hit on their bottom line uh, again you know that's something that you know with dealers you know the dealers pay that cost they're the ones that that buy the you know get the real estate and and put up the building and you know Tesla didn't have to, or, or you know, other manufacturers don't have to worry about that. For Tesla, you know, all of that comes directly out of their bottom line.
3: So what you're saying is that disruption comes back and bites you in the ass sometimes. Sometimes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, there's, there's a whole lot of different sort of threads to pull on with, with Tesla, and I don't necessarily want to, on them all but the you know the model three having a cheaper version of it i think is is a good thing i just i think they're going to lose money on every single one they sell yeah it's, so it's, it's all actually... it's
1: all the other stuff around it that's the problem
3: around what around the model like yeah around... i
1: mean the you know the the whole retail system the service system and you know the model three is not the only one that got cheaper they also slashed prices on the model s and ax uh which again is an indication that um that, you know, demand is, has dropped off for those cars because, uh, you know, it's very unusual for manufacturers to actually lower the sticker price of the cars you know, and, you know, other manufacturers will do, um, they'll do various, um, you know, kinds of rebates or, you know, other discounts, but they don't actually lower the sticker price of the car. And, you know, part of that, you know, is because they, uh, you know, when you do that, that hurts the residual values of used cars. And so you know this is going to hurt Tesla badly
3: well, who I mean yeah, without dealers, I guess they're they're the ones that are on the hook for the used cars too, right yeah like, how does that work?
1: Uh, well, some a lot of them they send to auction, you know they sell some of them directly uh, you know or they they sell, you know send them to auction and you know so other deal other used car dealers can buy them buy them at auction and sell them
3: um but then they've still got to support those used cars because there's nowhere mm-hmm. else to support them so that's true. Uh, yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's it's complicated. It's, it's interesting. Seems like it's like self-inflicted wounds to a certain uh, a, degree. A
1: lot of it is, yeah. Um, as, as I as I tweeted the other day, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about other other EVs, um, you know, being Tesla killers. You know, I think the only real Tesla killer is Elon Musk <laughs> himself.
3: Yeah, and I don't want to. I I don't want to hate on on them right now. I actually I really want Tesla to succeed, and so it's a little frustrating to just watch and say like the things that you did to just be contrarian against the industry. Like, look, those big car brands that have been around for a hundred years, they have some of this stuff figured out and you should probably pay attention to what they're doing.
1: You yeah. know, like a lot, the, a have, lot of, a lot of these mistakes have been made before.
3: Yeah. And, and those, a lot of those companies are not here Yes, <laughs> um, for the, the very same reasons. Uh, so yeah it's a little it's a little annoying to watch like i don't think the moves they made with the car are bad i just don't think that they're you know where they needed to take the the cost out was was not where they could take the cost out you know so now that you're, you're gonna have these, these these sort of standard model threes that uh you know somebody's gonna see that right and that's gonna set their perception of the brand and so if it has if it's only black and it has a crappy black interior and you go well this is a tesla i thought it was supposed to be nice they're not going to necessarily walk away all that impressed the, the best place to take cost out is at the stuff you can't see and that's you know again from like the sandy monroe teardowns like that's what's killing them on the three is that that's an expensive car to build
1: yep all right let's move on to the last story uh Absolutely. chrysler uh
3: yeah so i mean i think that they had a big announcement. They got a little lost, but they are going to make an, a big investment in Detroit and add uh, thousands of jobs to uh, build a bunch of Jeeps and Rams. And, uh, you know, I'm a little nervous about that, but it's, it's, a good, it's a good day for Detroit when there's a new plant going in.
1: Yeah. So, well, uh, it's not really a new plant, but they're um, re, 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 uh, retooling a couple of plants. So the Mac Avenue uh, plant in Detroit right now is an engine plant, and it currently builds Pentastar V sixes, and also used to build the the four point seven liter V eight, which they discontinued a couple of years ago. Um, that uh, they're going to shift the the Pentastar engine production to their Dundee engine plant in Michigan, and that's going to become uh, a, an assembly plant now for the next generation Grand Cherokee and also uh, a new three row um, Jeep utility. Uh, which is expected to be called the commander, the Jeep commander. Um, And then in addition to that, uh, they are also um, upgrading the Jefferson North plant where they currently build the Grand Cherokee and the Durango. where mine came
3: from. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And uh, they're going to also continue to build Grand Cherokees there. So they're adding extra capacity for Grand Cherokee with the the Mack Avenue plant. Um, And they're going to continue building Durango there. Um, And then the... Uh, what's the other one? It's the... Uh, oh, the Warren Truck Plant, uh, where they have built uh, Ram pickups for many years, um, is also being upgraded uh, to add production of the new Jeep Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer, uh, in addition to the the old, the previous generation Ram 1500 Classic, which is still being built.
3: So right there, that one sort of made, made my ears prick up, because it... it it's sort of the most solid confirmation I've seen that, yes, we're going to have a RAM-based Jeep
1: utility. Um,
3: I I, don't, I'm sure we've heard about. I, it yeah,
1: I, I don't. I don't think it'll actually be based on the, the RAM platform because they're still. They're, um, Warren is building the old, the previous generation RAM, not the new RAM 1500. It's the RAM, the Ram 1500 classic.
3: Oh, the oh, okay. so I think so.
1: I can't see them building a new Jeep on that old platform. So it will probably be, um, it, it might be a body on frame. Um, and in fact, it probably will be, Yeah, what, but okay, it, but, so, it, but it'll probably be a new platform. It'll, and it'll probably be based on the, uh, the new generation Ram.
3: Okay. So yeah, it, it, if the plant is set up to do a body on frame, you know, a ladder frame pickup or a, a truck, basically, uh, it's probably a lot easier to, bring the newest version of that in than it would be to free tool it for unibody production would be my assumption. i i you know more about that than I do, but
1: yeah. And so that's you know, that's going to probably go up directly against the uh, the expedition and suburban um, you know, any, the, the um, navigator and, and the Escalade.
3: So, I mean, that to me, that's very exciting because I like Jeeps and I like those large utilities uh, and to have, a Jeep version of a large utility, I think is a really smart move yep. um, you know it goes against the it goes against the sort of Jeep brand in some ways, but uh, honestly they'll sell them
1: yeah, <laughs> and it'll well, it be great <laughs> right, and you know it, following up you know on what they announced last June at their uh, capital markets day, you know about their electrification plans. All of these, all three of these plants are going to be set up to uh, produce plug-in hybrid versions of all of these Jeep models. So all these next-generation Jeeps are all going to have plug-in hybrid variants, um, and I'll also have the ability to produce full battery electric versions uh, down the road as well.
3: Yeah, I mean that's a lot of news from FCA. Like that, that right there, that's a a very big undertaking, and so it's just it, it's like. Four and a half billion dollars to do all of that stuff, yeah. right? Or is that four and a half just for the?
1: Yeah, no, that's it's that's it's total that's four, four and a half total for the three assembly plants plus also that also includes uh, some expansion at the uh, Sterling Heights stamping plant uh, and the Warren stamping plant. You know, to uh, add capacity there for those new vehicles and also for the move of the Penistar line from Mac Avenue to uh, to the Dundee engine plant.
3: So, and this is not quite a done deal yet, right? There's, there's a couple of months they have to go. There's a, there's a memorandum of understanding that with the city, there's some land that has to be acquired and and stuff like that. But yeah, Yeah, it, it sounds like it's, it's pretty close to, to happening. And, and that's, I mean, it's kind of the payoff, I think, for the last few years of, of FCA with Jeep and Ram really driving, um, Jeep and Ram
1: driving all of the profitability. Yeah, driving the whole business, basically.
3: Yeah, so it's it's like they they say, "Well, this is working for us. Let's invest in it." It's that's where I get a little bit nervous because uh, you know I go back to the last time Chrysler sort of bet big on the big stuff uh, was the early seventies, yeah. uh, late late sixties, early seventies, where. Um, they came out with the the new fuselage cars, you know, and all of those early seventies, big cars, they just got completely demolished by the fuel crisis. And that kind of led to, well,
1: you know, and that's, that's the thing to keep in mind here is that, you know, all of these vehicles are, are being designed for plug-in hybrids and, and full battery electric ver- variants as well. That's true. That's true. So maybe it won't be quite as bad if somebody decides to shut off the tap. And right now,
3: uh you know we're we're the world's largest oil producer not that i want to wave the flag on that i think that's actually not a great thing but uh i don't see that some foreign actor can can shut off the tap for us i guess uh like happened back uh, a couple times in the 70s so uh, maybe they'll be okay i just i get nervous when they start to invest so hard in such a narrow um narrow segment you know because this is really like basically like we're going to go all in on utilities and it's going to be jeep and ram and yeah we'll build some other stuff but like this is our our big thing for the next few years because you, you haven't really heard about anything else that they're doing they certainly like the cars are still the 300 and the charger
1: yeah <laughs> no I mean the, the volume is all in utilities you know whether you know from the the compact stuff like the renegade all the way up to this new wagoneer
3: yeah, I mean, good for them. Um, I'm really glad that they're adding 6,500 jobs in in Detroit. I yep. think that's that's fantastic. And I, you're like, you're they can, in that they area. Can, so. they can, yeah,
1: they can hire some of the laid off GM people and Ford people.
3: Yeah. So it has uh, what's the mood like? Has has there been a good buzz about it, or is it?
1: Uh, it hasn't really been talked about much with all the other yeah. stuff going on. <laughs>
3: We've we've had Tesla to hate on. so.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's let's wrap it up with uh one question from Twitter that came in a few days ago. Or actually it was yesterday. Um uh and it's uh from John Kokosinski. Sorry if I mangled your last name there, John.
3: Oh he's um, he's out here. He's in Worcester County.
1: Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, he had a question, uh, could we get him an update, uh, on the VW Arteon? Where is it? I heard it was delayed due to emissions, but that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, isn't it running the same two liter that's in the Q7 or the TGI or GTI? Um, yes. So I reached out to, uh, to Mark Gillies at Volkswagen and, uh, it's coming this spring. Uh, so yes, it was delayed a bit, uh, but it'll be, it'll be on sale this spring. He didn't have an exact date, but sometime between now and the end of June and, um, it the the reason for the delay uh, was actually because they had a big backlog. Most of the European manufacturers had a big backlog through last summer and last fall as they made the transition uh, from the old uh, NEDC um, tr- test drive cycle to the WLTP, which is the World Light Duty uh, World Harmonized Light Duty Test Protocol. Uh, and when they started doing – when they did the WLTP, one of the things that they changed was they also added in a real-world driving emissions test uh, in addition to the lab tests. And when they when they started doing that testing, they found that they were falling – everybody, not just Volkswagen, but every European manufacturer was falling short of where they expected to be and, and you know their, their targets – um, for emissions and fuel economy, and so a lot of manufacturers had to go back and do some recalibration on most of most of not all of their their model lines, and that included Volkswagen. And so, you know, there you may have heard. I think we talked about it at some point. There was some stop sales for uh, as long as two or three months on some models, uh, they were just not available to buy because they hadn't been recertified yet under WLTP. Um, they're basically, they're clearing up that backlog now. Uh, you know, and just the engineers were busy with other stuff (laughs) and couldn't, couldn't finish the certification on the U S version of the Arteon, but that's, that's coming. It's, it's almost done and it'll be here in the next couple of months.
3: You'll get your Volkswagen when Volkswagen is ready to sell you your Volkswagen.
1: That's right. When you're, <laughs> when they're good and ready to sell you one.
3: Uh, all right. Well, thanks for, for reaching out to Mark, and um, thank you for the question.
1: Yes, thank you. And that's it for this week. Uh, don't forget, you still got time uh, if you want to go to uh, the NVIDIA GTC conference uh, in uh, Santa Clara in a, in a few weeks. Uh, it's actually, I guess, in about, uh, about two weeks, two and a half weeks um, and uh, there's a discount code for twenty percent off uh, registration. That's in the show notes. Uh, it's at MCX Navigant is the discount code. Uh, and uh, you know, make sure you, you know, if you don't mind, you know, giving us a rating on uh, in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or, or wherever. Um, tell all your friends about wheel bearings. Um, you can reach out to us on Twitter. There's a link on the site uh, to uh, send us a message. Send us an email if you want. Um and uh, anything else?
3: No, I think that that's it. Thanks for listening. Let us know you can you can hit us up if uh, you need to ask any questions or give any feedback. But otherwise, we will see you guys next time
1: for episode one hundred.
3: Is it already one hundred? Excellent.
1: Yeah, this is ninety nine.
3: Nice. All right. Well, All right. We'll have to do so. We'll have to get party horns or something. All
1: right. Excellent. <laughs> you can add those in post. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye.
3: That's-